Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. You don't just live in your home, you live in your neighborhood as well. So when you're shopping for a home, you want to know as much about the area around it as possible. Luckily, Homes.com has got you covered. Each listing features a comprehensive neighborhood guide from local experts. Everything you'd ever want to know about a neighborhood, including the number of homes for sale, transportation, local amenities, cultural attractions, unique qualities, and even things like median lot size and a noise score. Homes.com. We've done your homework. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today. Taking a walk. The first big engagement he got us was in Denver, Colorado, which still exists, the Woolhurst Country Club. And we start singing, and this big, tall guy just got the screaming. I mean, out of pitch and all that. The proprietor came up to us and said, get out of here. Get off my stage. On this episode of Taking a Walk, join Buzz Knight as he talks with a living legend, Duke Fakir is the last surviving member of the Four Tops. He and Kathleen McGee Anderson wrote the book, I'll Be There, My Life with the Four Tops. Join Buzz next with Duke Fakir. So let's go to the Taking a Walk virtual hotline. I want to ask, am I speaking with the living legend, heavenly voice, amazing soul named Duke Fakir? Well, this is Duke Fakir and all those... Uh, adjectives you give and, and all of that, I don't, you know, that may be part of me. I'm not sure. I'll let you let you be the one to decide. But yes, this is Duke and I'm very happy to be talking to you, buddy. I'm so grateful to be talking to you, Duke. The book is tremendous. You're the author of I'll Be There, My Life with the Four Tops. Yeah, you did read it. No, that's good. Oh, man, the book just radiates. It's just radiates of joy, sir. It really does. Well, thank you. Um, I can't wait to get it out uh, as a musical uh, so people can really understand who the four tops are, were, and and how it all came about and how how joyful it was for us. You know, it was, it's, uh, and it still is for me. You know, because the best day, best part of my day is still on stage. 
So the book's available at Amazon, and we're going to talk about bringing it to the stage a little bit later on. But do me a favor, Duke. Take me back. You're three years old, right? And you're waiting for your pops to bring you one of those Coney Island hot dogs that are so notable from the Detroit, Michigan area. Tell me, can you remember how good that puppy tasted when he brought it home? Well, absolutely, yes, and I still eat them. That's how, that's how well I remember. Uh, I still love those Coney Islands. Just, just, and I can, you know, I can remember more about when I was younger than I can what I did yesterday. It's just amazing how, how sometimes the mind works. Uh, but that, that still, those hot dogs strung me out. I mean, I still eat them today. I look forward to eating, eating them. And I'll go out and get them or have somebody get them for me. Um, but I don't eat a lot of them at a time. I might eat one and then skip a day and I'll eat another one. But I still love them. <laughs> Absolutely love them. <laughs> As I said, Duke, the book radiates of love and of gratitude. Those are some uh, lessons that really shaped you, uh, especially in your early days from your your folks, correct? Correct. I've, thankfully, I've always been surrounded by a lot of love, and it has really helped me. I mean, it, it was it that would that has always been me. Whenever I'm in a situation or around people where there's not love radiating, I'm, I'm very uncomfortable. My family was a very lovable family. Then we went to the Four Tops family, which was all about love, respect, and, and, and honor. And and, and I, I see it in the people's eyes, day in and day out, every, every, every show. Because I look at people very intensely, and, and I like their you know, reaction. And I can see a lot of love and a lot of respect. And it's always, to me, everything seems to me to be about a family of love. Even my team that we're working on the musical, uh, uh, the, the young lady that helped me write the book. It was, it's, all, it's, it's all about love. And I, am, I don't mind saying it, you know, because, you know, love, come, love comes in so many different forms, you know, and I've experienced pretty much all the forms that there are. If love is, is the common denominator, oh, then it's such a joy. I'm just like that. I was I, like I was born with it. You know, I think I was born on the fence, you know, between a Muslim and a Christian. Uh, and both of those are really about peace and love. And I think I've really got a good part of both of those because I, I feel it. I'm very uncomfortable when I'm around things that does not radiate love. I, I, I'm just like that, I, and I understand it. And I'll just hurry up. I'll turn my back and walk away quickly. Um, you know, I don't ever run from anything, but I, I know how to get out. <laughs> I know how to get out from, from growing up in Detroit. You have to learn how to escape in different situations. So uh, I, I know how to, but, but most of the time, in my, especially since I've been grown up, I've experienced a lot, a lot, a lot of love. And in fact, my wife and I, we are on our 49th year. As soon as it hits next year, which is 24, 
just like was singing with the top before any one of us passed away. We did like 40, 40 years together at least. You know, and I, and I still kept it going, even as the guys, you know, went home. Uh, I just kept it going because it was a gift to us to do. And I'm just very proud that I was a member, or I am a member, of the Four Tops, which is they sing about love. They gave a lot of love. In fact, when we first got together, it, it changed. I could tell right away. It changed their perspective of people. Then they, you know, they started looking and loving people and enjoying. You know, it was just a. It was so much love, so much understanding. And there was so much talent there. You know, when you're young and have talent, uh, you know, you can really show it in, in different ways. And we were very fortunate in having a young man in his head. He knew every note and every chord, and, and he just would pass it on to us. You know, he, it's amazing how he could hear. Uh, he, he could, we could have be rehearsing with a ten-piece band, and if one of them hit a wrong one, say, "Hey, hey, you, that first alto, man, that was a B flat, not a B," you know, <laughs> uh, stuff like that. Uh, that's amazing. That's a hell of a gift, you know, especially in entertainment. Uh, and it has passed on to his son, who sings with us now. Um, so it's it's amazing. It's been amazing because it's filled with all kind of wonderful, wonderful stories and side sidebars and and things. But it's all grafted from love. And I look at the world today and I say, how, where, what happened to to the love? To me, there was so much more love when I was a kid. I mean, in the world, not just in my family, but you know, even though there was segregation, there was still. It, it just, it, well, we, we knew it existed, and you just try not to do things to bring it and put the balloon in your face. When music is in the air, the people don't think about color and nationality and all that. Music is his own world, and it, and it sucks people in, especially if it's done really well and, and, and it sounds good and feels good. People, they don't think about anything but what that feeling is. And I've experienced watching. I've watched people who um, who I thought would be racially uh, compelled to do or be another way, but music would just will soothe the heart and, you know, and, and would just bring them into the fold. I remember on our first Motown tour, well, you know, it was it was segregated. We we played the segregated uh, audiences. Uh, you know, the blacks would have to sit up in the balcony, and all the whites would be on the first floor. So after about two two or three gigs, Barry Gordy's sister, who ran uh, Esther Gordy, who who ran those tours and then created those tours for all the, the tops and the temps and every and everyone that was there. Um, she said, look, we can't keep doing this. She says, so she just broke up the tour. And she said, let's go home. She said, this is not good, you know. And we went home. And uh, after some conversation, I guess, with promoters and different people, they made they created another tour, and it was uh, 
it was just a loving tour. I mean, we could, for the first time, we really saw people almost dancing together of different colors. The music just, they would get out their seat and just go to dancing. And it was just amazing, a wonderful, wonderful sight to see. You know, oh. we would stand, we would stand backstage, all of us, every every artist, and, and kind of keep an eye on what's going on. You know, just from being used to doing that, from watching out, because um, we didn't know, you know, what was going on sometimes with the audiences. But after that, it was just a joy to see how, how people just they love they love the music. They didn't think about it, you know. They didn't care, uh, you know. Of course, there's always one or two somewhere that have their own way of thinking. But we, I'm talking about it. People were full of love, understanding, happiness, joy, and all that kind of stuff. And you could feel it. And it would just make you. It would make you sing more from your heart than just singing words and, and notes. You know, you would be singing a feeling. And you try to project it and, and give it give it out to them because they're giving you a great feeling with all their uh, their, their their claps, their dancing, they're singing with you, and it's just it's just a joy. It, and it still is the best part of my day. You know, even even now, I totally enjoy. I can't wait to get to work because it's not work. It's joyful. It's just being in in an in an arena of joy. Oh, Duke, I love that comment. An arena of joy. That's a beautiful way to put it. Now, there's a number of characters, Duke, in the book who they kind of shape the storyline. There's one I want to ask you about that was really important. Maybe I'll ask you about a couple. Uh, Joanne Artist. First of all, talk about what she meant to you uh, early on in your life. Joanne Artis was a schoolmate, but um, she belonged, she was like the head of this club of, of, of black girls. They, the Scheherazade. And she, uh, she and the girls, they, they were crazy about this, about us, you know. And when she gave this party, we, we, that's how we got together. But she she liked us individually anyway. She was just that kind of girl, and we were you know we we act, act classy. We weren't, but we act at that age because we liked being around them. They were beautiful, they were understanding, they were smart, uh, and so when she gave this party, and that's how we really got together. Uh, me and Levi had been together for a while. Uh, thinking about singing and, 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 and how we could get a group and what. And then we decided to get Mr. Benson because he had a nice baritone voice and he could almost sing tenor. He had a very good range then. He's a smiling guy. He was very good with the girls. And Lawrence Payton, now, we knew his family was totally about music. I would walk by down the street where he lived. We all lived in the same neighborhood. And, and they would be sitting on the porch, all parts of his family, singing, singing all kinds of, singing lullabies, singing church songs, singing gospel, singing love songs. And to find out that Lawrence Payton is, his family is a descendant from the Ellingtons, from Duke Ellington. So that music, somehow or another just runs through that family in their heads. They can they know music without having studied anything. And they just hear it. And it's just amazing. 
Okay, Duke, now tell me about this gentleman. Um, I think he was, if I'm not mistaken, he was known as the ex-con singer uh, named uh, Welton Barnett. Well, Welton Barnett, he was, I think you misunderstood that. Welton Barnett was not the singer. He was a guy that kind of, he was like a, a manager, you know, but he would see, and uh, he would ask us, to, to sing, we would get gigs. Now he could get, he would get gigs for us, um, and we would go to Toledo where he lived, and he would have us singing at one of these clubs, and then he, he he's the one that got us uh, engagement in in Denver, and that was this was before before tops. This was basically just Levi and I, and we would get whatever he would put together. Uh, and it was uh, it was a chore, really, because Levi was a great lead singer. But this Wilson E. Barnett, he like this tall guy that couldn't, to me, couldn't sing a fucking note. But <laughs> but, <laughs> but he sang, but he sang so loud and so high. And then Levi would just, you know, and try to get with it. I, the first big engagement he got us was in Denver, Colorado, which still exists, the Woolhurst Country Club. And we start singing, and this big tall guy just got the screaming. I mean, out of pitch and all that. The, the proprietor came up to us and said, "Get the fuck out of here! Get off my stage!" <laughs> if you heard this guy singing, you know, you know, he had, in fact he was ex-con, but he, you had he had no business, you know, being in show business at all. He looked like a convict, too. He was one in his head. He still was, and his voice was still a convict <laughs> voice. <laughs> you know, the uh, the look, I could actually visualize it uh, from the book. I could see the look between you and Levi Stubbs actually kind of looking at each other, almost rolling your eyes when that guy was singing. Yep. Uh, it was just, you know, you could tell in our eyes that there was something going on. People would watch us and... Me and Levi, me and Levi would be eyeing each other and almost, we, we almost cracking up because, you know, it's pretty hard, you know, to, to keep calm and be smiling and, and, and be pleasant for the audience when your lead singer is sounding like shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> that's just, that's just, but anyway. Uh, oh, I but love we it. lived through it, and right after that, after that guy put through us out of his place in Denver, uh, Levi, we and I, we took a bus and got home, and it was very soon after that that we went to, because Levi and I were in school together also. Uh, very soon after that, that when Joan Artis, this lovely young girl, uh, gave that party. Now, I saw her for the rest of my life up until about four or four years ago, because she worked at AAA. Um and I always kept AAA insurance because I, I always got a chance to see her and talk to her a little bit every now and then. So, you know, life, is, life has been a cruise for me. You know, there's been ups and downs. But it's, the ups have been so far up that you, I can't even think about the downs. If I do, it's in, it's in a jokingly way, you know, how we got through it and, and all of that. Now, Duke, there's some venues that you talk about in the book. I'll mention a couple and get your reaction. One I'll mention is the Ebony Lounge in Cleveland. 
and the other was called Eddie's Lounge in Flint, Michigan. Paint a picture of what these places were like. Okay, back in the 50s, there were quite a few of these type of clubs. They are clubs that maybe sit, sit from 600 down to 200, you know? And they always had a little combo plan. And, and people, they would have artists that would just, that they would book for one night or two nights or for a weekend. And they were in almost every city. Uh, and, and they were mostly, you know, black-owned clubs and then black-run clubs. And it was pretty much, I don't know, it, it, it was pretty much just a good hangout. And for them just to have a little extra entertainment on, on the weekend, uh, which uh, a, lot of, a lot of groups and artists were coming up at that time. And there was always, in every city, there were those kind of clubs. Hard for me to paint that picture if you're not there. But it's just um, this wonderful club. People just hanging out for the weekend. And on the, you know, on the weekends, usually, or sometimes for a whole week, according to how the club was uh, managed. We like to hang out. What I mean by we, I'm talking about all my, all the black people I know. I've always enjoyed, they work hard during the week, and on the weekends they want to get out and hang out with people and have fun and listen to music, sing and dance. And I, I believe everybody in Detroit could sing. I always believe that. Somebody said, how many, how, how many groups come out of Detroit? I said, I don't know. I said, but there could be as many groups as they want. But to me, everybody in Detroit can sing. They always have been around music, whether it's in whether it's in church or whether it's somewhere. They've always been around music, and they just expect you to be able to sing. It's, it's, and they can sing themselves, and they know singing. They know when you're not hitting them notes, and they also know when you're hitting notes and making great harmony. And and when you sing it from your heart, or when you're singing, this is my home. I love Detroit. I love how it's come, come through its changes. I just can't wait till, till the day because it's getting near the end of my career, and I'm starting to think of what what you're going to do when you retire. Now, a month or two ago, I was thinking about it. I looked at my age, and I said, Duke, you've been doing this for damn near 70 years now. It just seems like you should not have to or want to do it anymore. I said, well, okay, I think I'll start. So I'm talking to myself. So I talked to my wife, and I was talking about when I possibly would retire. And it was just that we're talking about a few months ahead. And, and that was just a couple of years ago. That's when the pandemic hit. We stayed at home for so long. I said, you know what, dude? This is retirement. And this ain't shit. <laughs> I said, I just wait until I can't do it no more. So here I am. Now, not thinking about retirement, I'm thinking about moving forward. I, I still can dance a little. I've lost quite a few steps because of my hip operations and, and things like that. Uh, <clears throat> so this is what I do. This, um, you know, and, and guess what? I was, I was made for this. You know, one of your mentors in the book that you talk about is uh, the great Billy Eckstein. And he said, and I'll quote, You've got to love the audience. And I think at its core, that's why uh, you're going to keep doing this, because you just love your audience. Uh, isn't that true? That is absolutely true. 
It really is. I mean, the feeling I get, I'm anxious every show before it's time to go on. I'm anxious to get out there and perform, and I, I'd like to scan the audience and, and try to read their expressions. And it's always great expressions. You know, it's very seldom can I look out there and find a person with a frown on their face. It's just, and it's just wonderful. You know, it's just, you know, to feel love and respect every night that you perform, that is, uh, that is a way of, of life itself. Living in that atmosphere, work and I, you know, I, I hate to call this work because it's not work to me. Work is getting on, on the getting on our bus and traveling to these gates. That that to me is work. But once we uh, at the venue, it's just all play for me. It's like a basketball player getting in the gym. You know, once I get once I get near the stage, that's um, that's where I feel at home at the most. And I just, I love watching people get the feeling. You know, it's just amazing, you know, that you can you can see how much they enjoy it. And it just, it just gets me. And I think it still gets even the new cops, you know. Uh, I think we've, they've learned that this is what it's about. It's about the people having as much fun as you or more, you know. And it's about transferring something to them so that they get it. It ain't, it ain't just about singing notes. It ain't just about, you know, dressing well. It's about giving out a spirit of love in your music that they can feel. And, and they respond when you do that. You know, we know when somebody is aching and then don't give their best, you know, it, and it, and it hurts. The whole group, to me, and, I, and we have long talks about it. I said, look, man, you cannot carry anything that's happened to you in the day or the night or what happened at home. You can't carry that on stage. The stage is for you to wipe it out and to feel what the audience have for you. They're waiting to give you that love, and you can tell. And when you do it right, you get it right away. And then it's just a wonderful love affair. Um, and it's just, uh, and it's amazing. It's amazing to, to, for me when I think about it to go through life. My job is, is going to places where there's love, always love, respect, fun. Duke, there's been some moments of incredible uh, faithful moments, I would say, and fateful moments that come up in the book. There's one in particular I want to ask you about, and that is the... Uh, the Lockerbie moment. It's kind of a moment of faith and fate. Can you talk about that experience? Just how you knew before then that there was like a higher power that was kind of working in, uh, in your life? And you certainly knew there was a higher power after that? Oh, absolutely. Um, we, were in, we were in London, England, and we had two different shows, to, to, two different sets to do on two different days for this particular show, uh, which was their big rock show. I'll think of the name in a minute. The producer wanted us to do like it was scheduled. You do two songs today and tomorrow. You can do, do, do two songs on our next set. So now this is close to, very close to Christmas, very close. You know, we said, look, man, you know, it'd be nice if we could just 
cake one day, even if you wanted to change clothes, Gail, come off for a minute and come back and do a couple more. You know, he said, no, no, he said, no, it's set up that you have to do the second night. I said, yeah, and we tried every kind of conversation to him, and, and, and he just would not change. And I am, so we would, after, after we realized what really happened, uh, we were so glad. I'm telling you, we all, we all wanted to go kiss that guy, honestly, or hug him or, or something that produced had he, had he listened to us, we wouldn't be here. So, Duke, if I'm hearing the story correctly, you and the rest of the band members, you were supposed to be on that plane that went down. Yeah, we were, listen, we were trying to get on that plane. We tried everything possible. You really did good. It shows that we tried everything possible. You know, we, we had our road manager book us. We thought we could talk this guy into letting us do everything we had to do in one day, even if we had to change clothes, uh, you know, just to change songs or whatever you wanted done. But they wouldn't listen. He said, no, it has to go just like it is. And he, to me, was the one that, that kept us from uh, getting on that flight. And when I got home, I mean, people were waiting at the airport. But I was so, I'm, I'm still thinking of what could have happened and I, I didn't really speak to the people. I was so glad to see my, my wife. I just said, I mean, come on, let's go home. I just want to get home. I mean, because that frightened me for quite a while. And the rest of us, that we, we tried with all our hearts to walk into a death plan. I mean, that is amazing that we were saved by this producer. Because if it wasn't for him sticking to his plan, we would have been gone. And you know, I guess the great director upstairs, uh, he knows all that, and he prepares it, you know? And there was this other moment, too, Duke, that uh, was one of these incredible higher power sort of moments. It was that, that incident with your sister. You were fooling around with the gun, and uh, talk about that time, Duke. Well, my, my brother, my older brother, he, I loved him to death. And he, he served many years in the service, and we had just moved into a nice, from really from the deep ghetto to a nicer home. And he said, you, uh, you know, there's gangs all over around town. He said, here, you take this P-38, said it'll blow somebody's head off if they mess with you. He said, don't use it unless you really have to. I was so excited about it. And this, you know, I said, whoa, this is a bad gun, you know. My sisters and I, we would... My mother worked, you know, stepdad worked. And so we did the housework, and we were downstairs in the basement washing, doing the family wash. And I showed my sister that. I said, look, look what Ozim gave, gave me. She said, but, but that's a gun, Duke. I said, yeah. She said, she, she, you know, she said, you, you, you're in another gang-related neighborhood. You might need it. And I, I kept playing around with it. I said, see, let me show you how it works. And I, I thought I'd taken all the bullets out, but there was one in the chamber that I didn't know about. So I said, here, I'm and I pointed at her, and click, and it didn't go off. She said, don't point that gun at me. You know better than that. I said, ain't nothing in it. And, I was, and as I was talking to her, I pointed it to the roof and pulled the trigger, and bam, that bullet came out that time. Now, you know, I, I sat there and I sat there and almost cried. 
I said, Shaz. Her name was Shazam. I said, you know what? I I was about to kill you and didn't know it. And I've really thought about that for years and years. And I thank, I, I thank the Lord that something happened. That bullet that I did not know was there did not come out when I clicked it at her. You know, and that was frightening. That was frightening. And guess what? I, I never, I never carried a gun or used a gun after that. Never any kind of gun. And we have tours down south on the bus. You know, the guys would bring their guns. You know, that's when the south was crazy. We didn't know what you be. You would you could be confronted with, but I never after that carried a gun, never ever, and I won't. So let's talk about bringing all of this to the stage. Where are you in that process, and uh, and just tell me how excited you are about it. I'm so excited about it because as a producer, I will be reliving some of those beautiful moments. A lot of them, I'm, I'll be reliving them. And it'll be so authentic because I'm I'm going to make it exactly how I felt and how how things went. So the singers going to have to be great singers. They're going to have to be great actors, and they're going to have to they're going to have to you know in, in theater they have to be very good dancers as well. I see we were auditioning one guy to sing. He had the greatest voice, but he was six foot seven. And we didn't we didn't need. A guy that tall to play uh, a lead singer. That's all, and I had to let him go. Um, so it's going to be so much fun, reliving those moments, building those, building the blocks that will lead to some of the great moments that you felt that that really make you feel good. Here's one moment I will talk to you about. Mary and I was going together. In fact, I had moved in with her, my wife. And I decided that she's definitely going to get a divorce, she says. And so I said, okay, boom, boom. So I felt comfortable in moving in with Mary, so forth and so on. But I think my wife must have, when she heard that I was going with a beautiful young lady, she might have thought of something. And that, that's when we started really making money. And when I was with my first wife, we weren't, we weren't doing that well. So she sent the daughter over to the house. Or they, she drove her daughter over to her house. She was about seven or eight. And she left her on the porch. She said, just, your daddy's in there. Just go and talk with him. He'll take care of you. It's going to be that way. And when she comes to the door, I said, damn, that's my daughter. I said, come on in, Kai. She, I said, what are you doing here? She said, well, Mom, just dropped me off. Just told me to see you. Said, you take care of me. I said, yeah, come on in. I said, oh, my God. So what am I going to do? So I brought her into the kitchen where Mary was. Mary was preparing some stuff. We had, in the living room and in the guest room, we had half of Motown still. Smokey was there. And, um, the Vandellas were there. And the two Holland brothers were there. And Dozier. So, you know, the big, I, I, don't, I can't remember if Marvin was there or not. First of all, they were all excited about Mary and I because we had decided we were going to get married. So whenever we did something, they always come come around. So it was like a, a big party that we were starting. And so anyway, she, she, uh, Kai was in there talking with Mary, and Mary's talking with her, and I'm trying to figure out what the hell can, how can I work this out? And then it really hit me. 
say, dude, the only way you can work this out, buddy, is to take your ass back home. So after a while, I said, how can I tell Mary? So anyway, I let, I, I let um, Kai and then Levi kind of hang out. I said, Levi, why don't you show around the house and this and that? He said, yeah, okay. I said, Mary, and I need to talk. He said, yes, y'all do. <laughs> So Mary and I started talking, how can we work this? She was getting really upset, she was nervous. And, and I was upset because I didn't know what to do. I said, Mary, I said, this is, this is, this is really happening and, and I don't really know what to do. And I said, man, basically she really wants me to come home. She said, but Duke, Mary would say, well, Duke, but you promised. And we made plans and all of that. I said, this is different now, Mary. And it took me a while, but Mary being such a sweetheart, she had a big heart, but she had a great mind. She was a beautiful, sweet person. And she knew what I was up against. She said, well, she said, we had some beautiful plans. She said, Duke, I know what you have to do. I said, yeah, so you do what you have to do. She said, I understand it. This was after about an hour of talking and talking about the situation that she conceded that, yeah, you need to go home. You got a family back there. And evidently they want you now. I said, well, at least my daughter does. I know that's for sure. I said, Mary, I'm going to have to go. I said, well, please don't hate me for this. I always want to be your friend and no telling what can happen in the future. She says, Duke, one thing, I love you. And I'll never forget you. And I will always have my arms open to you whenever you make the decision. Well, that kind of released me enough to say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take my daughter home. I don't know how my ex-wife is going to treat treat us or treat me. I said, but I got I also got a little son back there. I said, just this is telling me I've got to go home. I've got to be true to my family. So I went home. Um, you know, of course, I knocked on the door. Why she had changed her ways from being, uh, she didn't care what I did. She, uh, she was happy to see me and all of that, and happened to see me with Kai. And so I took Kai into, like, the living room, and this song was written for this particular scene. It's called, I'll Never Ever Leave Again. And I put her on my knee and started singing this song. And this song was is really, it was an instrumental by Earl Klude on the guitar. Lawrence just picked that song and wrote some words that were just perfectly for this particular scene. So I put her on my knee and started singing this song, I'll Never Ever Leave Again. It's going to be a hot a very heartfelt moment on for stage, you know. So I'm just wow. giving you an idea of, 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 of uh, how it, how real it will be. That was a heartfelt moment, but there's so many happy moments. There's so many moments of all kind of feelings that will be in this musical, and I'm going to try to make it as, as authentic as possible. You know, you, when you put when you put the right words with the scene and the right music with the scene, you get the feeling that was there, that actually happened. So, and that song was just perfect for, the, for that. And he, you know, that was oh. written, 
you know, it had nothing to do with my daughter or me when he wrote the song. I just, when we started doing musical, I started putting these moments together with, with different songs. That's awesome. That's so tremendous. I want to close with this, Duke. So I remember reading in the book the moment uh, that you know with Levi's passing and you know how alone uh, that you felt and how sad. I think music plays this really uh, important role in lives. You talked about it. We have this other podcast that we produce that's called Music Save Me. It's about the healing power of music and how music uh, provides a saving grace, almost therapeutic. And obviously, you know the importance of what faith means with music. But talk about, if you will, how important music is to you, whether it be the um, uplifting moments or the moments like you know when Levi passed, when you felt so alone. Right. Well, it, you know, it, it, that, it happened when every one of them passed one by one. Lawrence was the first one to pass, and we was at his house holding his hand. He was pretty close to dying. I said, Lawrence, I said, look, and I prayed. I said, Lord, let me change his spot. You know, I just don't want We don't want him to go. It's not time for him. He's still too young. And we did that with each other as, as each one passed. And after Lawrence passed, well, you know, every now and then when I sing certain songs, when we sing certain songs, it would remind me of him. And that's why it was just great to have his son able to sing. Because right away, we didn't put him in there right away. Uh, Levi, that was too something for Levi. I said, no, Duke, I know he can sing, but I, I can't. So we didn't put anybody in that spot. We did three, but we let one of our musicians sing the fourth note, you know, while he played the piano. But we couldn't for a year. It was just three of us. When Lawrence first passed, that's where that's the way it went. We just could not, you know, we just could not have anybody in that spot. And we all felt that. Uh, that's what I loved about him, because it was truly, it, we were truly, truly, loving each other uh, with respect and all kind of things. So when the first one, Lawrence, left, it, it left us with a big hole. We didn't ever, we never expected that, you know. It seemed like at our age we could, that we would be around forever. And we knew that we were talented enough to do that. Not, not cocky, but we were confident that we could be around as long as the Mills brothers or something like that. So, but that was a that was a, 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 a devastating moment and, and time when the first one passed. And then when uh, Ovi got sick a few years later and he passed, it was just, um, now for real, I, I thought, well, I know this might be it. I don't know. I don't know if I can continue with this, man. You know? Two of my buddies had gone, uh, and and Levi was starting to get really sick, but he stayed there as long as he could. But he 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 stopped, and when he stopped, I, my heart just shattered. I didn't, 
you know, I said, he said, well, get somebody to, you, you, you got a good ear. Get somebody that can, I said, Levi, can't nobody replace you or your voice or your heart. I said, but I'm, he said, keep the group together, dude. She said, the name has a good future. You know, and he was he was on his deathbed then, talking talk to me like that, and I was just crying. Anyway, thank you, Duke, for taking the time to talk about the book. I'll be there. My life with the four tops. You can get it on Amazon. It's a great read. Thank you for sharing your insights, your experience, and your journey as it continues to inspire us all and to. Uh, get us through and put a smile on our face the music lives on that's for sure uh, but I could tell you I had a smile through this entire interview just talking to you tickled I'm honored I'm so grateful for all the lessons that you teach as well well thank you for having me believe it or not it's always a joy to me to remember those moments you know and we've had so many of them, so I, I can get lost in conversations when we start talking about, the, uh, you could say, the greatest love I've ever had. Uh, you know, it's easy to talk about them, you know, now. And I can, re I can remember some of those moments more than I can remember what I did uh, yesterday. <laughs> you know, it's just weird how the, the moments of heart and, and love and understanding they they stay there. They're, they're never going away. But anyway, thanks for having me. It's a joy. And I hope the people enjoy talking to me, uh, me talking to them. I just want them to know how much they've given us. They've given me a full life of love, happiness, joy, and everything else under the sun. And I love them, each and every one. Thank you. You're the best. And, uh, Tim Sabian, my good friend and yours, told me to say hi to you as well. But thank you, Duke, so much for being on the podcast and take care of yourself. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Taking a Walk podcast. If you like this and other episodes, please share it with a friend. You can find Taking a Walk on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.
Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.